My dad died. I miss my friends because of... I don't know how to tell my friends that. I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? My uncle abused me. The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is the morning meeting. I'm so happy to be here with you today. I'm hoping you're doing well. I'm glad you found us at the morning meeting. I hope it's coming to you at just the right time and you find today's episode helpful. I came across an article written by some great people at Active Minds. It's a young adult mental health organization. And I thought that the paper was so timely. So I thought we would talk a bit about it here. The paper is called Recommendations for Prioritizing Student Mental Health and Campus-Wide Healing and Recovery During COVID-19. So this podcast is about grief and young adults. Uh, We don't talk about mental health in general, but I recognize a few things that this paper speaks to. So first of all, unresolved or unsupported grief can lead to or exacerbate mental health issues. And secondly, COVID-19 is a grief issue. Every single person I've spoken to over the past few months has experienced some kind of a loss because of COVID-19. The isolation alone is a loss for so many of us. The change in routines, job losses, financial losses, lack of contact with friends and family, and obviously the incredible amount of deaths that have occurred. All of these things are losses and they affect our mental health. So the paper that I'm gonna be talking about today written by Active Minds found that 80% of college students have experienced a negative impact on their own mental health due to COVID-19 and all of the losses that this pandemic has brought forth. That's really significant. I think that colleges and universities across the country have been struggling to support the mental health of students for a long time. That's not new. I've been doing a ton of research about supports on college campuses, and it's significantly lacking. Counseling centers have week-long waiting lists. They limit the number of sessions a student can have. Some schools don't even offer counseling. So the good thing I think about COVID-19 is that I believe it is shining a light on the declining mental health of college students and the need to support them better. So I think that schools are realizing that the trauma and the grief associated with this pandemic is affecting students and not in a good way. And they know that they need to do better to support them. So the data isn't in yet on how this virus will impact things like suicides, drug overdoses, But we know that economic struggles, isolation, changes in routine, all of these things can increase suicidality. So it would be surprising if we don't find an increase in things like suicide and drug overdoses. And of course, the other issue is that there's a huge financial issue in higher ed, and that's going to affect the resources that can be devoted to mental health. So we're going to talk about how to support students knowing that some of these recommendations will cost money, some don't. And I love the recommendations put forth by Active Minds, but I also recognize most schools will probably not be able to implement all of them. 
So I thought we would focus on some of the most cost-effective recommendations that they have. There's, I think the paper lists about 12 different recommendations. We're gonna just talk about a few of them. One of the things that I thought was really great about this paper that it highlighted was that all of us can make a difference in our college communities. We don't need to rely on things like the administration or counselors to make sure that people are getting the right kind of support. Sometimes we do, but there is something for every one of us, students, if you work in a university, if you're a parent, there's something that all of us can be doing. So let's dive into it a bit and talk about some of these recommendations. One other upsetting thing that Active Minds found was that almost half of college students reported that they did not know where to turn if they need immediate mental health support in the aftermath of COVID-19. And that just stresses the needs of students to prioritize their mental health. The coronavirus has been such a major gut punch, right? Some students, honestly, some adults as well, have still not been able to catch their breath. Some people have been able to start figuring out how to function in a healthy way since this pandemic began. But others have not yet really been able to process the incredible loss and trauma that they've experienced. And compounding that is the ongoing violence against Black people that has just exponentially impacted people of color. We're going to have another podcast to address that as well. But I think it's important because COVID-19 has affected people of color so much more drastically than white people. So the exponential trauma that they're going through, you know, it can't be minimized. And like I said, we'll do another podcast to address that as well. So Active Minds outlines about 12 recommendations to best support college students' mental health. And I think of COVID-19 in terms of loss. So I've thought about these recommendations in terms of how we can support grieving students. We need to elevate the voices of students on campus. So many people think that we know what's best for others. I mean, I'm a mom, so I do that all the time, right? I assume I know what's best for my kids. But the reality is, before we make recommendations, it's almost a prerequisite would be just to make sure that the people who could benefit from the services are part of this conversation. And I can't tell you how often that does not happen. I remember recently I was part of a discussion about racial justice. I heard about an organization that decided to make a statement on the Black Lives Matter movement, but they did not include, consult, or even ask for final approval from one person of color. And the statement that they wrote really read as tone deaf. If you want to support people, you need to include those people in the discussions. Don't assume that you know what is best for anyone. So if you are someone on a college campus trying to make a plan for how to support students, make sure you have some students involved in that conversation. Once we have a few key players at the table, we need to think about ways to adapt and innovate the way that mental health services are provided. So some students have been fine with the way that they get support in sort of a traditional way, maybe through an appointment at the counseling center. But some people, and especially people with marginalized identities, may have been uncomfortable seeking support. And these are the people that need more support now. So we need to think about ways we can bring support to them. So that might mean that we don't need as many counselors in the counseling center. We need to move them to places within the community, like in the residence halls or in the gym or embedded in the student-run organizations. You know, maybe it means that we're going to ramp up telehealth 
Maybe it means that we provide education to professors and other campus personnel about the grief that COVID-19 has ignited. Maybe we need to educate people about how to talk about race so that students can rely more heavily on each other to get support that they need without feeling isolated and different. Because the reality is we're all feeling these things. Grief is just the expected reaction we all have after we experience a loss. So we can all be the supportive friend and confidant that someone may need. And that's not to say that there isn't a place for professional help. There absolutely is. But if we were all taught to be supportive, to be that supportive presence to someone that's grieving, some people may be able to get exactly what they need without formal counseling or therapy. Another recommendation in this report was that mental well-being practices be embedded in coursework. Again, this would be a preventative measure that may help avoid some of the more intensive supports. The problem is that teachers are not always prepared to do that. Most teachers are not required to take any coursework on mental health and mental well-being. I'm a social worker. We weren't even required to take a class on death and dying or grief. So it's definitely not required for educators. But often, they're the first responders to a mental health crisis within their own classrooms. They're the ones that make the referrals. They see it first. So with some education, they can learn things that they can do to avoid some of the additional stress for already stressed out students. Active Minds, in their report, emphasized things like removing midnight deadlines. Those just encourage students to stay up late working, and really we should be encouraging them to get you know, a good night's sleep. They can also start class with a quick check-in or a mindfulness practice. They can assign some form of self-care as homework or build in opportunities to talk about current events in their classrooms. You know, giving students an opportunity to share what's going on with them helps them to feel less isolated and will normalize the experience that so many of us are going through. This is one of my favorite recommendations because you're using the people who are already in their lives to provide some additional support. It takes a few minutes out of every class, but ultimately I think it would make the students more productive, so it's time very well spent. And it's basically free. The next recommendation is equally important though. If you're gonna ask the staff to provide support, you have to support your staff. Asking the staff to provide all of this is only going to work if they get support as well. I always say that doing this work is emotionally expensive. And if you're starting from a place with little or no funding, you're going to be creating a serious emotional debt which is not sustainable. So make sure your staff has some emotional wealth before you begin. Provide them with opportunities to talk about their own experiences, their fears and struggles. It's so important that they have this reserve. Maybe you use a staff meeting or just call and check in periodically as a colleague or as a supervisor because being an educator costs them emotionally. So not only do they need some startup funding, but they need to be replenished regularly. Every time they listen to someone's story, it costs them. Every time they are the ones to hold the space for others, 
without trying to burden students with their own problems, it costs them. So they need support as well, providing check-ins during staff meetings, talking to them about their own needs for flexibility, for life balance, all of those things. It's so important for the staff. And this is true for all staff, but definitely for the mental health counselors on campus. They will burn out so quickly if they're not given the right kinds of support. And I have all too often been in that mental health space where people think, well, you're the counselor, so you're okay. But I'm absorbing everything that I'm hearing all day. I need to be checked in on too. So it's so important that we make sure that we are checking in on the people that we're asking the most of. One other recommendation that I wanted to highlight is the need to commit to some social opportunities for the students. I think this one is especially challenging. I have a college sophomore, so I am well aware of the challenges colleges are facing with regard to student socialization. Here in my little town in New Jersey, there has recently been an outbreak in cases amongst 19-year-olds related to a party that many of them attended. Thankfully, I haven't heard about any of them having symptoms, but the need to physically distance cannot be more clear. It's so challenging because they need to feel connected to friends to maintain connection and relationships. But that's so difficult because it conflicts with the idea of staying away from people to not get the virus. Colleges are talking about getting rid of things like dining halls, community rooms, gyms. They're talking about trying to have more single dorms. They're canceling, you know, large-scale social activities. Many schools are even shortening the length of a semester and doing much more online learning when they are on campus. So you're encouraging students to stay in their dorms or at their homes instead of being together in a class. This makes perfect sense to diminish the spread of the virus, but it works against the mental health problems associated with the isolation. So this paper by Active Minds recommends providing online opportunities to engage with peers things like new student orientation, social networking, and other non-academic experiences. I think their recommendation is a little bit more vague than some of the other recommendations that they made. And I think it's just because it's so much harder to suggest things that will feel authentic online. You can teach coursework through a computer, but human connection is much harder through a screen. And I definitely do not have all the answers for this one. I know that despite not wanting my own children to get the virus, I have allowed them to socialize with peers because I know it's important for their mental health. And I wish there was a way to sort of group students at school based on majors to try to keep them all together in cohorts, but with different interests in things like sports and extracurricular activities and religious practices, jobs family responsibilities, it's virtually impossible to put college students in a bubble. So we have to hope that we're educating students as best we can about precautions while also weighing the balance between their mental and physical well-being. There are so many more great recommendations in this paper. It's an easy read, so I encourage everyone to take a look at it. And I'd love to hear from you what you think about the recommendations and if you can think of others. So just to summarize, some of the recommendations put forth in this paper included listening to the needs of students, thinking outside the box in terms of the way we provide mental health services, 
using some of the natural supports in a student's life to provide opportunities for normalizing this experience, things like checking in during class, and then also providing staff with the same additional support. Finally, one more recommendation that I highlighted is to look at ways to provide social opportunities online. So I hope this gave you some food for thought, and I hope you're thinking about ways you may be able to implement some of these strategies in your college community. So I always try to end each podcast with a tip about how to cope with all of the grief we're experiencing. Typically, I will ask whoever I'm interviewing, but today I'm interviewing kind of myself. So I thought I would mention that my family and I put together a patio at the beginning of the pandemic, and I try now to go outside every day, which has been really helpful. Sometimes I read or I'll do some work. Sometimes I literally close my eyes and take a deep breath and I pretend I'm somewhere else. I'm on the vacation that got canceled or I'm at the beach. It can be a very short break from the reality that I'm living in, but we all need a break sometimes. And I try to give myself these little vacations every day and I actually think of it as a vacation. I'll say to my husband later on, I went on vacation this morning for five minutes or for 30 seconds, but it helps me because I feel like I deserve a vacation. And when I think about the fact that I can't have one right now, I can get kind of angry. So I remind myself that I can take a vacation every single day in my own mind. And so can you. So that's all for today. I will be back next Tuesday. I will be interviewing Michelle Haar, a therapist in private practice in New Jersey, about her professional as well as personal experience with loss when she was in college. I hope you'll join me then. So for now, good morning to you.